Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. I am hosting this episode myself, and for some background on me, I am educated in computer science and have spent most of my career as a software developer, business analyst, and project manager. I am a passionate entrepreneur and enjoy working with creative technologies and in business development. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing one of my fellow podcast hosts, Alan Marston. So let's get started. All right, welcome to the show. Um, My guest today is Alan Marston. Alan, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me here. So those of you uh, who have been following the podcast probably know that Alan Marston has hosted a number of episodes himself and uh, he, uh, he, you know, deserves to be heard himself because he's a very fascinating guy and uh, I'm honored to be the guy interviewing you, Alan. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, you being the interviewer. I like your radio (laughs) voice there as well. So that's, that's good to hear. (laughs) Um, So Alan, let's, let's start out. Because I know a little bit about you because we've been friends for a while now, um, but I don't know quite the uh, the origin story of Alan. Um, so wh- I'd like to hear maybe a little bit about what you were like when you were young and, and what kind of a kid were you and, and what sort of led you along the path uh, that you're on and, and, you know, maybe get into as much detail as you feel is relevant. Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up actually in Pakistan. You can't tell by my accent, but... Uh, <laughs> We were a small Christian, I grew up Catholic actually, community in a very heavily Muslim country for those people that know Pakistan. Grew up in a place called Karachi, right on the ocean. I was there till I was 19 years old and then I immigrated to Canada. So in those early days, you know, I had that entrepreneurial bent. I keep telling people I'm a serial entrepreneur and I am, but I had that entrepreneurial bent from a very, very young age. Uh, I remember my my dad was working for the American Embassy, uh, which then became the American Consulate in Karachi. And so when ships, the aircraft carriers came in, the U.S. aircraft carriers would come in, he would take me on those those ships and he would, uh, uh, you know, I'd end up getting comic books. I was just a little kid coming with my dad and they'd give me comic books. I'd never seen comic books before. So Archie Comics, Casper, The Friendly Ghost and all that. And I'd take them home and the the kids would come and say, hey, can I borrow that? Can I borrow that? And I started to realize that these kids were not borrowing the comics to look at for themselves. Their parents were the ones that were wanting the comics. Oh, wow. And that did return. So I had a cataloging system on on who was taking the comic books, when they took it. And I'd bug them, hey, you got to bring that back. And I started charging them, started charging <laughs> them a few, a few uh, cents. Uh, uh, and they would, you know, they'd go tell their parents and the parents, because they didn't have the money and their parents would pay. So I started to make a little bit of money there until the business got just so big that my dad just got, you know, was affecting my schoolwork and all that. And then we, you know, he ended up selling all the books to somebody. But, uh, uh, and then later on, I ended up starting a club called the Christian Teen Club. Uh, Another thing that happened was dad happened to bring a little tiny bottle of, of peanut butter home. And I'd never heard of peanut butter. Nobody there had ever heard of peanut butter. And I looked at the ingredients and I thought, you know, I think we can make this. So I, my dad ended up buying a whole bunch of peanuts. I put the Christian Teen Club to work and we ended up 
shelling the peanuts. And dad managed to borrow a, a hand uh, grinder that was used to grind hamburger meat. And uh, we ground all that into, into peanut butter, put it into these jars. We created 16 jars of this and sold it after church. Like literally took us less than 10 minutes wow. to sell all of that. And so there we went. And all of that money went towards helping a home for the handicapped that was there in, in Karachi and helping uh, uh, families that didn't have, that had much less than we had because we didn't have very much. And so at a very young age, my dad had also ingrained in us this giving back, this service to the community. He was always involved with the church, always involved with the choir. We all played. I played guitar and, you know, we I started a choir as well and uh, talent, organize, talent groups and all that kind of stuff. So that was ingrained in us as well. So that entrepreneurial and giving back thing was from a young age. And then I came to Canada when I was 19 years old as a welder. They needed welders back then. And it was a very, very rough time because uh, I didn't know anybody here. And uh, so it was, uh, I landed in Montreal and then quickly went to Hamilton, Ontario, where I worked for Hamilton Steel Car, building these trains you see going across our country. And, oh, cool. Uh, but got laid off. They had strikes. They had lockouts. They had all this kind of stuff. And I finally ended up uh, moving to St. Catharines, working for a company called Niagara Structure Steel, Structural Steel. And I ended up, uh, they ended up having some kind of a lockout. And I ended up uh, homeless oh, in, wow. in Niagara Falls and ended up uh, getting beaten up in one of the parks that I was in and all that kind of stuff. So really, really rough time when I first came to Canada. Uh, amongst all of that, of course, I was very homesick. My whole family was back home, back in Pakistan. So it uh, took me a while to, to get going. I finally made my way across to Alberta. Uh, there was uh, some very, very close family friends of my dad. In fact, they were, they called him their, his, their adopted son. And so I moved to Tabor, Alberta, to, uh, to live with them. I got a job just outside Tabor, and then I got a job in Lethbridge, lived with some people in Lethbridge, and finally uh, uh, moved to Winnipeg on a lark. Just uh, I knew some people there. I'd gone to visit, and we had such a great time. I never went back and even got my stuff from Lethbridge. Went back three months later and cleaned out my basement suite and ended up working for uh, a company building the Greyhound buses and all that kind of stuff, motor coach. Hurt my back and ended up in the retail industry. So WCB evaluated, said you'd be great in sales. And I ended up in the retail industry working for Eaton's and spent 25 years in the retail industry. The last 12 years of it, 10 of them with Holt Renfrew and human resources and operations manager, both in Winnipeg and Calgary, and then Harry Rosen's here in Calgary. Uh, before I started a software company. Oh. And so I, I had, again, very, like like yourself, I was very uh, interested in technology, especially the internet, not so much technology as the internet. And uh, I had an idea and I thought I could do it. And I raised a bunch of money in, in Calgary and moved the company to Silicon Valley, bought a company out there. The chairman of our board was from Silicon Valley, was from a place called Pleasanton. Actually, he lived in Livermore, California. So we lived in Livermore and then uh, uh, had our offices in Pleasanton, California. Wasn't the greatest experience also because I got there in January of 2000 and in March of 2000, the dot-com crash happened. So ended up spending, uh, but a lot of good experiences came after that because I got to work there, got to meet a lot of incredible, incredible people. 
uh, and then finally came back to Canada and uh, went to work for CompuSmart Corporate. And uh, the owners of that company wanted to build a, build something. They didn't know what the, the son wanted to. And we ended up starting a company called Net Wireless that put Wi-Fi in all of the second cups across Canada and, and a number of other places. And Wi-Fi was not prevalent at all. In fact, there was no Wi-Fi hotspots. That was one of the reasons I'd suggested that's what yeah. we start. Well, now they're everywhere. <laughs> now they're everywhere. And I've, and the reason I knew about them is I'd come from Silicon Valley where Starbucks had just started to get Wi-Fi and all the Starbucks. So I got used to it, opening my laptop and getting a in a hotspot. And there was nothing, not even lobbies of hotels in 2002. So now you've got them everywhere. So that's so that's a bit of my background, where I come from. Right on, right on. So um, the uh, the what brought you from Silicon Valley back to Calgary? I kind of missed. Just I may the, have missed the that. whole the the company uh, that I took out there to form. We got there three months before the dot com crash. Now the reason we went there, we had a couple of venture capital firms that were promising to invest in us, but we had to be in the valley. Ah. And uh, so, and the only one of the ways to be in the valley is to buy a company there. So we had raised some money here. We bought a company there. And uh, the dot-com crash happened and nobody was returning any calls. So something similar to what's happening in Calgary right now, where we are in a bit of a slump and even the people with money have locked down their bank accounts and nobody's investing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. So that's like quite a variety of experiences through life from being basically homeless, right, to to, to owning a, a, a successful software company. Yeah. Uh, so... What was the, what happened next? What happened next? Well, I, uh, I ended up making some money uh, uh, along the way and whether it was that. And by the way, when we talk about a varied experience, I forgot to mention that in between being a welder when I, uh, how I got off the street, how I got off being homeless in, yeah, in St. Catharines, I actually, uh, the fellow saw me on the street and he saw that I had a guitar that was busted. And he said, can you actually play that thing? And I said, yeah, I can, but it's it's busted. They, you know, the people who had beaten me up had busted the guitar. And uh, so he got me a guitar and he said, play me something. And I played and I sang and he said, you know, I could maybe help you out. And if you come, I've got a, a bar down the street here. Why don't you come and play there and I'll pay you some money. And I went, yeah, I'd do that. And that's how I ended up playing in his bar. And I ended up actually in my journey from St. Catharines to Tabor, I actually ended up stopping in a bunch of places like Beaux-Azur, Manitoba, and ended up playing in bars that nobody listened to me, but I got to sing and I got to, I got paid for it, and I thought that was awesome. Right? Wow, that's a that's a great detail. I'm glad you didn't leave that out. That's, yeah, that's yeah, a, that's yeah. really really great. Yeah, but uh, after uh, after uh, Net Wireless, I ended up doing a bunch of other things. I got happened to fall into a network marketing company that I ended up being very very successful. Made a lot of money with that. After being after failing in that for 25 years, as most people do, uh, and I took some of that money, ended up having some successes, and in 2008, lost everything. Oh no! That whole downturn really affected me. The, every investment it seemed I made was gone. I spent two years battling that, a lot of stress, trying to save what I had, and in 2010, I just said, "Okay, I've done what I can," and I went out and got a job, mm. and. Uh, so I was working in 2010, had a, a couple of other startups that I was trying to do that didn't work out. 
until now. And I now have a new startup that I started about a year ago. Yeah, tell us about that. It's called Zenoshi.io, right? Yes. So so Zenoshi, this is exciting stuff. Yes, so tell me yeah. about it. Yeah. So I, I started Zenoshi because, and I, I never start a business, any kind of a business, unless I'm ticked off about something. <laughs> and something's rubbing me the wrong way. I figure I can fix it. And going back to 1984, I think it was when I was with Zellers, uh, we uh, put out a loyalty reward program that some people might recognize as Club Z. Mm -hmm. And Club Z was the first data-driven loyalty reward program where you swiped your card, we got a bunch of data, and then you could take the points that you were getting and go to a catalog and look at, they didn't have websites in 84, so you had to go to a catalog and look for toasters, TVs, and all that kind of stuff. the only, uh, just to make sure that people know that the, the, there was a reward program before that, but it wasn't data-driven. And that was the Canadian Tire Dollars right. that we're also used to getting. Now it's become Triangle Rewards. So I became very familiar and I in, really immersed myself in loyalty reward programs and I became very passionate about them. I, to this day, will not fill gas anywhere unless I'm getting some kind of Canadian Tire Dollars or PC Optimum points or whatever. But... The industry was also annoying me because it had gotten very saturated. There were too many merchants, too many points. And the merchants are fine to have too many merchants. The problem is it's affecting us, the consumer, because we've got points in so many places that, you know, look at miles. I got miles with Air Canada, WestJet, American Airlines, United Airlines, Alaskan Airlines. And individually, they can't get me from here to San Francisco. But combined, they could get me to Europe and back, but I can't combine them. And a lot of these programs you can't cash out of, you can't uh, transfer, I can't do anything. So I just thought that, you know, this has become too controlled by the merchants. And there's something that I've got to do here where I can make a consumer reward program and maybe a universal reward program where what if people could take a picture of a receipt? There's a lot of data on a receipt Mm -hmm. and data is king. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, I use another slogan in my presentations that says, uh, those who own the data own the future. And you look at Facebook and Google and Amazon and Microsoft that own Skype and and, uh, and LinkedIn, uh, they own the future. And the gone are the days where we think that we own the data. We get to use services because of the data. But what if I could get the data from receipts that you're you're spending money all the time and I could pay you for that data? Because advertisers still want to reach you, and they're going to find a way to reach you. But what if they found a way to reach you because of that that narrow data, right? Knowing what ketchup people are buying, knowing what uh, what soup you're buying, whether it's Campbell's or Noor's or whatever. Uh, this kind of data is not available anywhere right now. And uh, that data is being collected, but it's been tightly controlled by Triangle Rewards and PC Optum and Air Miles and those kind of companies. And they're not... Uh, other advertisers have a hard time getting at it. So that was the, the whole thing that I started with Zenoshi. Uh, members would be able to get points. They'd be able to use the points to redeem, same as Club Z, for TV, Stoaster's Travel on, a, on the website. But I also wanted to add it so that if they wanted to cash out, they could cash out. So we, in the beginning, will use PayPal for them to cash out. Uh, but eventually, I want to put it on the blockchain where it's immutable mm-hmm. so that uh, you know, if something happens to me, God forbid, down the road, uh, future shareholders are not going to say, Alan was crazy. We're doing away with this program. That's the whole idea. I don't want this program to be expired or changed because uh, the way 
Air Canada just did with pulling out of the aeroplan program right. and people lost, you know, uh, they didn't cash out quick enough, uh, quick enough. They lost hundreds of thousands of miles. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing with Zenoshi. That's brilliant. So I think the most obvious question to people is um, how maybe get into a little bit more detail on how a person could get money. Like where would the money come from? Right. So in the in the later on in the in our advanced stages, you'll be able to take a picture of a receipt anywhere on anything. Park downtown, get a receipt, take a picture. We're going to reward you with that because all of that is data. But we had to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Facebook started with a one college and went to a bunch of colleges and they didn't open it up to the world for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing the same thing. So we're starting with local merchants. So ZenoshiLocal.com has about 40 merchants on it right now, just in a beta program. We don't even have our app ready yet. App will come out, uh, I'm thinking early June. It's in development now. And those 40 merchants, in fact, Al, one of your companies capturing legacies uh, is on that, on that ZenoshiLocal uh, com, And so people can go there. And when they go to any of those merchants and they shop and they take a picture of a receipt and email it to me at info at Zenoshi.com, we will give them, because our merchants are paying us up to 10%, we will give them 3% of everything that we're collecting from the merchants. And they'll get that in points that they'll be able to use as we put our marketplace up. So now it's all about collecting, about aggregating those okay. points. Later on, they'll be able to use it to to uh, for TVs, toasters, and all that kind of stuff. But it helps these local merchants as well. In fact, I just talked to one of the 12 business revitalization zones in Calgary. They've got 430 merchants in that revitalization zone. They want to bring that on board. And so we're talking to them about how to best do that because I'm still in beta and people are not using the app. They're emailing me. So it's a lot of work on my part to record all of these. Uh, And the merchant, uh, there's no upfront fee for the merchant. There's no monthly fee for the merchant. There's no contract. They can cancel at any time. So I've made it a no-brainer for them. Mm-hmm. And all they do is pay us up to 10%. So, and they get publicized on ZenoshiLocal.com. And we're going to start publicizing, taking two, three, four merchants a week and putting them on our Facebook page, uh, Zenoshi Local Facebook page. So we get more publicity for them. So they're getting free publicity. If we never send them a, a customer, they still got something out of it and they didn't lose anything. Right. Right. right? So I've tried to make it that kind of a no brainer. And going forward, once we are on the app, companies like yours will just migrate onto the app and will grandfather you in. Even though we're going to start charging merchants a yearly fee, we'll grandfather the merchants that are in now, no yearly fee ever. Ah, I feel smart now for getting on board early. (laughs) But uh, I think that uh, one of the key things that you pointed out is this is, this is, a really clever way to get started because, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and founding uh, partners of, of startups, they think that they have to get out there and build their entire product and have it fully operational before they can actually go anywhere with it. But you, you've got experience as an entrepreneur and as a, as a, uh, a founder of a startup where you're, you're going, okay, well, I have, um, uh, what's maybe even not quite a minimum viable product, but you've got the ability to, to function as if things were were working. And you've even got a, a, a business model where the money can actually flow through your business right away, right from the very, very beginning. And admittedly, it's a lot of work for you right now. But in in as 
people come on board on both on the vendor side and on the, on the customer side, um, as that starts getting busier and busier, you're proving your model, you're proving that people are interested in this, you're proving that it could work. And then at that point, that's when you're fo- you're going to be focusing on the data, right? That that's, that's, right. that's where your data play comes in. And then in. the data comes in, and when we start getting paid for the data from advertisers and, and marketers, those people, that money that we're getting for the data is also going to go back to these people, these members that have already signed up. So, yes, you're right. You know, I but you brought up a really good – I'm glad you went through that whole thing because uh, – I'm not that smart that I came up with the idea to go with a, a minimum viable product like that project. Uh, I think that, and that's a problem that we have in the startup world where we've got apps and everybody thinks they need an app. Everybody thinks they need a website. Everybody thinks they need all that stuff to get started. I was sitting with one of my mentors and I'm going to give him a shout out here because he's an amazing guy. His name is Mike Siervo. Michael Siervo works for, he's in a wealth management, a very high role at, at Sun Life. And Mike had said to me, we were sitting down and we were talking about what I was doing. And he said, and there were a couple of other merchants with us in this restaurant. And he said, why don't you just start? And I said, well, I don't have an app. And he said, but start. And I said, but how? I don't get it. What you're saying, how? how? Because my whole idea was to take a picture of a receipt. I hadn't yet figured out to go get merchants and let them pay me 10%. And he said, just get these guys to give you a percentage when you send them a customer and the customer will take a picture of a receipt. And I went, that's a great idea. He says, let me just ask them if they'll do it. And he started asking them, would you do it? Would you do it? And they both said, yeah, there's nothing to lose. Is any mo- You're charging me anything up front? No. Charging me anything monthly? No. You're going to put me on a website? I'm going to get me publicity and there's no contract? Well, yeah, sign me up right now. Yeah. So those are the first two guys that we signed up. Right. And, you know, and he's not even a part of the business. So I think we get spoiled today by thinking that we have to have everything already because we can't operate without technology and you can actually do that uh, talking to another friend of mine I'm mentoring another uh, uh, startup that's just about getting started they they cook meals for people and they want to do it on an app and they got to create this app and I said why don't you just go get a couple of clients and start cooking for them right now yeah and start proving that you've got clients that you are going into their houses and and what the whole idea is that other chefs would you know, say, hey, I can cook for them that night. And then that chef would go out and cook for them. And the overall company gets a little piece of it, right? Great idea. Yeah. Let's start doing it. You don't need an app to get started. You don't need, yes, you can have a website. You can throw up a website on Weebly. It'll be a crappy website, but you can throw up a website yeah. on Wix, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's a key point for startups today is you, you can get started. You don't have to build everything out. Yeah. And you also, you also touched on another key point is mentorship. I was having another episode of this podcast where I interviewed Nicholas Luff and he was talking about, um, you know, the startup and the, in, in the investor kind of relationships. And, and he was saying, don't wait till you need money to build a relationship with an investor. That's way too late. And, and so on that point, I mean, you're, you're already talking to uh, mentors who are giving you brilliant advice right at the very beginning before you even, you just had an idea in your head at the time. And yet this investor or this mentor is already on board. If you can get, uh, you know, like an advisory board of, of key people that can really make a difference in your business, you'll avoid making all kinds of mistakes. And when you get to the point where you actually have something and you have customers and you have that need to, to start getting the venture capital and the angel investing and all that, 
now these mentors have been with you the whole time and they're likely going to be one of the first people to want to give you money because they trust you and they see what you've done all that time. So I, I like that point. I'm glad you made that. And that's a really good point too, Al, because, uh, you know, when one of the things that I've done is put together an advisory board right from the get-go. So if people go to zenoshi.io, you'll see who our advisory board is. And these are people that I, some of them I didn't know, and some of them I did know, and I just asked them, people are very happy to get on an advisory board and help you get along as they get a little something. Mm -hmm. But I think another thing I see with startups is that they want to have, they want to control 100% of the company. And, you know, when you have 100% of nothing, it's 100% of nothing. Yeah. And uh, I'd rather give pieces of it away to some of the people that are going to be on my advisory board so that they can help me get to that next stage. Your, your part about relationships are very, very well taken. I, I mean, I think I heard somebody at the Rainforest say that to me, is that, you know, uh, maybe it was Mackenzie at the front of the room saying that relationships are much more difficult to break than a contract. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. if you're just looking to raise money or, or a contract or something, you don't have a relationship yet. And I learned this in sales a long time ago. Uh, when I went in, I was always building the relationship first. And a lot of companies I worked for went, man, you're a slow sales guy. You take a long time to make a sale. But you know what? When I make a sale, I make huge sales mm -hmm. because I built that relationship that took me a long time to get. And, and, no one, and nobody too, else is going to get in there. Sorry. And recurring as well. Probably. And, recur and yeah. recurring. Yeah. And nobody else is going to get there. So if the company is going to do an RFP later on, mm -hmm. right, they're probably going to lead to the emotional side, which is me, because they got a relationship with me, even though I'm not the cheapest guy on the block, which is what an RFP sometimes will try and get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So relationships are critical. Uh, and uh, I agree that the investor part <coughs> as well, by the way, that gentleman I talked about that mentored me is not an investor in my company, but he's still a mentor. Yep. And I seek out this mentorship with a lot of people that I've sat down with to learn from them and what they're doing. Uh, and that's what we constantly got, got to keep doing. And that's another reason I like the rainforest. I remember the first time I went to the rainforest, I said, you know, you got to stand up and say, well, what's your superpowers? What can you offer to the rainforest? And I said, I can offer mentorship, but you know, nobody needs mentorship more than I do Yeah, because I'm still needing to learn. And I've had some great mentors at, at the rainforest. Uh, Peter LaFontaine, Pete LaFontaine has been fantastic. You know, uh, give a shout out to him and many others. Uh, yourself, I've sat down with you and had conversations with you. So I keep learning. Yeah. And that's a really a really valid point. I think that um, everyone has the opportunity to mentor. You don't have to be, you know, a superior business mogul That's to do right. it. In fact, if you've ever made a mistake in your life, you can be a mentor to someone else because Absolutely. you would have hopefully learned from that mistake unless you just keep making the same mistakes over and over again, then you probably need mentorship more than anyone else. But, uh, you know, being able to say, you know what, I tried that and it didn't work and this is why, maybe that will make a huge difference in somebody's, uh, op, you know, going forward with their opportunity. So that's brilliant. I've that's worked cool. with venture firms in the Valley, in Silicon Valley, that wouldn't, were, were scared to invest with entrepreneurs that have only had success after success because they've never learned failure, mm -hmm. right? They don't know what to do if they're failing. Right. And they'd have to, the venture firm would have to parachute in somebody to help them if they were failing. Right. So uh, when you've had some failures, uh, hopefully most people have learned from them. 
uh, they've taken something away. And the other thing is, if you just have wins, the other the venture venture capital guys were. Uh, are they going to fail on my dime because mm. they're due a failure? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Well, isn't the uh, isn't the uh, Silicon Valley's um, kind of motto motto to be fail fast and fail often? That's right. Yeah, they're yeah. they're more interested in yeah. someone who's failed a bunch and now knows what they're doing that's than right. somebody who just got lucky. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. Um, yeah. So uh, now you have kids. Yes. At least one, right? I got two. Two kids. Two, yeah. So tell us a little bit about how are they following along in the in the in the uh, you know career path and and in that you've led out led in your life. You know, uh, I I don't know how entrepreneurial they are. I mean, there's a certain amount of entrepreneurialism there for sure, but uh, uh, definitely that pioneer. Uh, you know, I pioneered by coming out to Canada. At the age of 19, my daughter did that very same thing and left home and went to Toronto to chase a, a career in comedy and writing and oh, cool. all of that kind of stuff. And, and you know, it's been a struggle for her, but she's doing really well, too. She uh, her, One of her goals was to make it onto the main stage of uh, Second City uh, in her, you know, the, by the second or third year. She made it in her first year. Wow. And she's doing some, she just got an agent uh, yesterday, so she's very excited about that. And uh, and things are starting to move ahead there, but you know it's not easy when you when you leave home, you're living by yourself. You, there's nobody else there that we don't have any. We've got family friends, but no, you know nobody that she's really bonded with that's been able to help her. She's lived in one basement suite after another, uh, been through some rough times, and you know what? And I went through some of those rough times, so now she's going through it. She's living that journey. And she's very excited because on the 1st of May, she actually moves above ground for the first time since she'd been in Toronto. Those basement suites, I've been in many of those suites with, uh, that she's lived in, and they're dungeons, mm. you know. Uh, and the housing situation in Toronto is not easy. So she's doing, she's doing well there, and I, I really expect she's going to continue to do really, really well, and she's going to hit her goal of maybe one day getting that Emmy. That's what she's after, right? Well, moving up in the yeah. world as a phrase yeah. is pretty literal for her. <laughs> yeah, pretty literal for her. That's right. Yeah. Um, my son is here. He's working with me in Zenoshi. He's uh, it's part of part time. He's got a full time job, uh, and he's a he's a brilliant, brilliant sales guy. So when I uh, think of myself as a sales guy, honestly, and I've done pretty well, but. Uh, this kid is light years ahead of me and when it comes to he's he's 32 years old and uh, does a phenomenal job on that end of things he's also into self development personal development uh, audiobooks and podcasts and he's always telling me about something or the other i was driving back from winnipeg the other day and he says dad you got to listen to joe rogan interviewing kevin hart and it's actually a fantastic uh, kevin hart i i mean he's you think comedian but you know what? The guy is a motivational powerhouse. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I learn. I'm learning from my 32-year-old son all the time because of the stuff that he's going through in his personal development. So, yeah, they're great kids. You know, I, we're very, very blessed for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, what's next for for uh, Alan Marston? What's your what's your next? Well, uh, I really have to get Zenoshi going. Uh, you know, I'm I'm. I'm frustrated by by building Zenoshi in Calgary. I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, I'm so so grateful for the rainforest because I see what they're trying to do with the diverse that diversification. Uh, their social contract is brilliant, uh, but at the same time, there's a problem in this city, a great problem, and that is raising capital in this city. 
you know, and somebody stood up at the front of the room at Rainforest Today at the Lunch Without Lunch and uh, said, you know, what's going on with capital and with with investors in, in Calgary? Uh, our company is getting uh, investment interest from Latvia, of all places, and, and, and Eastern Europe, other places in Eastern Europe. And but we can't get anybody in Calgary interested. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's uh, a prophet is never known in his own town or uh, more likely that we're going through uh, a tough economic time in Calgary. Uh, I just presented in Winnipeg and there was much better reception, uh, commitments around the table for investments. Uh, I've not been able to get that in Calgary. So uh, I don't know where the investors are. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, I, if they're still got their heads stuck in the oil and gas area and not looking at technology, but that's what we've got to figure out next uh, is where does dollars come from technology. Government's doing an awful job of that, I believe. There's so much. They've got money available, but it's wrapped up in bureaucratic red tape so much that a startup can't even get their head around it. They need specialized vendors that can go out and actually apply for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I just applied for a, a grant, a matching loan grant, that we met with the people giving the matching loan grant several times to make sure our application was solid and then it got rejected. Oh, wow. Like, it's a lot of time to an entrepreneur. Yeah. Time sure. is everything to me. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm moving forward. So I'm getting investments. I'm getting, you know, people interested in my company from everywhere except Calgary. That's interesting. And that's a problem. Now, luckily, I've had great support from from people like yourself. And uh, and as I said, Pete LaFontaine and Mike Siervo and a lot of other. I, so don't get me wrong. I'm not not that we're not getting. There's a lot of great support. It's the investment dollars that are not coming here. Mm-hmm. And what I'm worried about and what I'm concerned about from the rainforest perspective is that I'm going to have to move. Oh, I'm going to have to move to Toronto. I'm going to have to move to Silicon Valley where I've got some contacts uh, because it's not happening here. Yeah. Right. So I'm trying to bootstrap as much. I've taken out all the equity I can for my house. I've done everything I can. I believe in this project. I live, eat, breathe and sleep this. I don't have another job. Uh, I'm I'm bleeding, uh, you know, literally uh, on the side from, you know, not paying my bills on time, getting cut off notices, all that kind of stuff that an entrepreneur goes through. I'm going through that again after having been through that in the past. But I still can't raise money in the city. And that's a problem. And I don't know whether they're going through the same thing in Edmonton. I know the rainforest has a committee that's looking at that right now. But we're going to have to, you know, I'll tell you something that happens in Silicon Valley even now in San Francisco every week. And I understand we can't do it every week here, but every week they have a pitch fest where six or seven companies come and pitch and it doesn't cost them any money to pitch. They just come and pitch. They get advice on what to do about their pitch. And they come back. And they get another chance to come back again at another pitch fest and do it again and see if they got better. They're not even just pitching for money. They're pitching for advice. They're pitching for men- mentorship. we got none of that going on here. Yeah. and Or very little of it. And when it does happen, there are accelerator programs out there that get 80% of their funding. And it's another thing that blows my mind. They get 80% of their funding from the government. Why is it 80%? Why can't it be 100% mm-hmm. so that you don't have to charge the, the, the startups anything? But then they want to charge the startup $2,500 or, or more to teach them how to pitch. And then with the lure that you're going to get them in front of investors later on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that is a major problem for me. And I think we're trying to solve some of these problems. 
if I had my, if I was not so completely focused on Zenoshi, what I would like to do is join up. And I'm, I'm putting this out there because there might be some people out there that would want to pick my brain on this. I've got the whole vision. I've got the divine download on this. <laughs> and I can help us to put this together. And I'm thinking about a club where people, uh, 1,000, 2,000 people, Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter style, but offline, would pay uh, $250 a year to belong to. And the benefit they get of that is to watch new startups pitch and vote on those new startups. But we as the club would be the one investing, not these people. Interesting. And we'd invest in, it can be a non-profit club, I don't care, it can be a foundation, I, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a money-making venture, but we'd help these startups get a get a leg up so that they can get to the next level. And the, this, this organization can do what accelerators do, which is provide advice for free so that they can get better at what they're doing. I'm hoping that's what Platform does, because mm-hmm. Platform is is setting up a new organization, but that's not going to come online until 2021. But in the meantime, they could they could offer this service where they can offer free advice, a free mentorship. I'm willing to be a mentor. I'm already a mentor to others. I know you would be willing to do oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So we've got to find a way to help this because this startup economy, yeah. if it doesn't get some help and it doesn't get some financing. It's going to go. It's going to go to, to other places. We don't want that to happen. No, we want and, to keep the brain drain from draining, right? Right. Yeah, for and sure. That's, and that's a problem that we're going through. I think here. that's a brilliant idea. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you know someone who's an investor or you know someone who's passionate about startups, uh, let them know. Let's let's get uh, let's get them in contact with you, Alan, and, and maybe we can trigger this off. Maybe somebody Absolutely. can spearhead it and take it forward with some advice from yourself. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's a really, really good idea because... One of the successes of Kickstarter and GoFundMe and all that is, you know, I may not have $10 million in the bank, but I might be willing to throw a hundred bucks at something. And if a lot of people get together and all throw 50 or a hundred bucks at something, that's a significant amount of money that could take that forward into something else. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ethical and, and environmental sort of initiatives and things that where people are trying to be socially responsible, especially on the investment side of things. Um, this may be a really, really cool opportunity for people to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to support that company because I believe in them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm willing to, I'm willing to throw some extra effort as much as uh, I've got, you know, my time is limited, but I'm willing to throw my time to join up with four or five or six people to put this together to lessen the workload for everybody to put this kind of a club together it does it wouldn't be in contra and it wouldn't contravene any securities act because the people are not investing uh, it's the club that will do the investing and the and these people would not have any shares in the club so there's no sec or asc uh, regulations are going to be infected it's just a foundation or a non-profit that's investing in these in these companies and helping them to get started and maybe the nonprofit has a small little share in those companies to help more companies later on down yeah. the road. Yeah, right? yeah. Building so upon I'm, itself. Yeah. That's what I'd really, really, really like to get started next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some other goals with Zenoshi. As we start earning money, I want to start uh, the Zenoshi Entrepreneurial and Financial Education Foundation because I think our kids are not learning uh, enough about entrepreneurship in school, not learning how to fish for themselves. 
they're not learning financial education, even if they learned how to be honest, because you have to be really good at budgeting. I never learned that, and that's what keeps us poor. That's Absolutely. what keeps poverty going Absolutely. if you haven't learned that. So that's my the next goal afterwards, after Zenoshi starts earning some money. That's brilliant. Um, last question for you. Where did Zenoshi come from? You know, people keep asking. It was There was no brilliant flash. It was just a matter of we couldn't find a dot-com name. My son and I were, him and his condo, me at, at home, were looking at various software programs that combine names together. And this name popped out and he said, Dad, what about Zenoshi? And I repeated myself about 15 times. And I said, you know, that's got a nice ring to it. And we're going to be making a big push into Asia. That'll, that'll work well there. Uh, since that time, of course, I knew people were going to ask this. So I, I wanted to go and find out what Zen, well, Zen, everybody knows is to be calm and all that kind of stuff. But actually, that's not it. When I started looking at the meaning of Zen, the real meaning of Zen came much before it used to be a, a ancient currency in Malaysia and Japan. And so that fit very well with what I was talking about. And Oshi, because I'm trying to disrupt the loyalty reward industry, Oshi is a term used in sumo wrestling to push your opponent away and push them down. Wow. So, so it kind How of works. serendipitous, eh? <laughs> it is. That is brilliant. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. And I really appreciated all the insight and valuable information. And I think that's a brilliant idea on the investment uh, club. Uh, and I'd love to be a part of that. So right. keep me thank in you. touch with, or keep yeah. me in mind for that. Thank you, Al. Thank you for taking the time to, to interview me today. I appreciate that. Cheers. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you haven't already visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-source, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was sponsored by Workhouse, bright and inspiring co-working spaces that fuel productivity and cultivate creativity. The way you were meant to work. Make Workhouse Core the new home for your business. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.